And we're out of lad. I swear by all the science, if your father's not back from Hethwin Filiot Gorgoth by tower night, I'll know him for blighted. Rodri, go and fetch Shaynid from her rest circle. Perhaps she can spare us a drop of milk. Sire Marthwiga says she's to remain at rest until father returns from Hethwin. I'd as soon not raise his eye and lose the only milk sheep for a spun, because my mother forgot where she put the oils. Well, Lathwiga, bless me for a woman with a son who's wiser than he is quick or obedient. And what other princess? Is she risen from her slumber? A princess, indeed. If you were father and seen the sun on my face before I'd seen the finish of my choring, it would have been the leather off my back. And I consider her blessed for a girl with a brother so diligent and kind as to spare her the day's labours. Besides, you're a stronger man for it. I'd say a man worthy of a lady like Gilthwin of Creek. Ah, she is not the time for a boy like me. She's a woman grown and all. That girl spends more time up our road asking after you than on her own choring, or I've forgotten the words of our scion. Friends is the whole of it. Oh, the whole, I'm sure. Go fetch your sister that I might gaze upon her fondly. <laughs> Friends is the whole of it, he says. Like I was an old chronic bird with no mind at the fires of you. Wake up, you wee blighter. Break your fast for a long day of flower chasing and bug hunting. Oh, you've awoke without a rough hand to force the matter. We must be blessed. He was here again last night. Who's that, then? The shiny man. Mum, she's on about the shiny man again. He asks after the faith of our house. Uh, I think he's forgotten something. Rhiannon, you put a supper in that nonsense or I'll turn your hide inside out. He scares me, Mum. Aye, and he would. There are a few things more worthy of fright than the imagination of a little girl. And one who sneaks off to Sion Lathwiga's study to have a go at his books. You haven't. I didn't. You did. Were we to fall out of our Sion's grace, we'd suffer worse than a bad trade for a milk-sick you. Asides, where'd you learn to read? Brother Brian teaches me letters when it comes to trade in town. Tell me you've not been bending the air of that old charlatan. He's no charlatan, Mum. I saw him repair the cobbles to the grumbling goat with a flick of a staff. Oh, that's fine, isn't it? Vagrant science preaching their blasphemies. If the old church took word that we were allowing heretics into our lands... He's not an heretic. He just doesn't preach the faith. Besides, Sian Lathwiggle likes him. He does not. He does. I've seen a most Brother Brand twice now. Is it Brother Brand? He was well now. I'd respect a science preferred address, yes. Is it not the old church that preaches to follow and serve the science, all science, regardless of their faith? Don't you take off quoting scripture to me, Mum. To brother or sister without the eyes to read the word, speak it. To those without the ears, show it. Rod, careful, my loving son. You've not grown so great that your mother could not put you in your place. He's here. What? <laughs> the shiny man. He's here. Welcome back to League of Ultimate Questing. Experience the adventure. I'm Dirk Bradley. And I'm Warren Rustborough. Dirk, are you wearing an LUQ bracer right now? You like it? I found it lodged in the couch cushions in Lucky Sevens, the adventurer's only club on the ring. They let you into Sevens? Well, technically they let in Vector Forecastle of the Peerless, but his entourage is so huge no one seemed to notice I was there. Thanks for a wonderful evening, Vex. You don't suppose that's his bracer, do you, Dirk? <laughs> of course not. His has notches on the inside for every soul he's failed to save. And this one has, uh, notches. Probably for a completely different reason, though. Like hot dogs eat, or girls kissed. Ah, yes. The important things in life. Anyway, this is probably his old bracer. Yeah, probably left in the dust for the new hotness. I hear this season's model can send emergency messages by spending glory. I see you, you son of a... Oh, f I hope it was worth the 24 hours playing champion man. I'm coming for you. They're going to need every anti-hero in the league just to make sure there's enough of you left for the funeral. Well, Rusty, it looks like I'm taking a personal day. Take the access hatch. He'll never find you in there. Hey, thanks for covering for me, Rust. 
The only way he'd find you was if he was watching this very broadcast and entered at Sigma Junction between decks 98 and 99. <clears throat> but how would he know to do that? Speaking of LUQ bracers, tune in later for Page Theta Row's breakdown of the rules and regs regarding gear and personal items in the Axis, right here on EXPN. The four of you, for the first time, are a team in truth. A party, so to speak. And that's exactly what you do. Enjoying each other's company in the evening. In this strange suite, you find a bar with all sorts of bizarre liquors. And those of you who partake do, and those of you who do not partake of other delights. From jokes to stories. But ultimately, your time comes to an end. And you find yourselves in your own respective apartments. Iavos, you go to the same floor that they have found themselves on. And your room inside is a sparse, simply designed space. Nothing elegant or extravagant. A good, solid bed with a comfortable enough mattress. And a small letter on a desk. Well, what's this then? As you open the letter, you see a tight, cramped script. It says, Iavos... I'm sorry if we made you uncomfortable. Hopefully, this room is more to your liking. Let us know if you need anything. Sincerely, Jeffrey and the staff. Looks over the room, kind of pushes the mattress of the bed with one hand, smiles to himself. Ah, so decadent and lovely. Distraining, pulls the mattress off of the bed and lays down on the simple wooden frame with a pillow. Beautiful. The camera cuts from Iavo sleeping on his wooden bed to Hal just unconscious in a pile of throw pillows upstairs in the penthouse, which he never left. He was like, nope, this is good. I'm staying here. The circular couch is very finely crafted, and your sleep is undisturbed. In fact, none of your sleep is disturbed. You all rest very soundly. At dawn, or whatever you imagine dawn to be in this strange place, you hear... Yet again, that loud scratching on the door. Except you, Hal, who instead hears the elevator opening up. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, you can't be here. Well, that's obviously not true. Well, sir, how did you get here? Do you have the, um, the key? Um, if you have the key, we're gonna ask that, we're gonna ask that back, please. A man comes shuffling up to you. Behind him is a retinue of strange characters, most of them of the general fantasy races. You see a dwarf, a dragonborn, and on the dragonborn's shoulder is a halfling. They're all carrying cleaning equipment and other various objects. Right. You can have the room. That's fine with me. Uh, I'm just going to take my funnel and uh, one or two of these, and I just grab a couple bottles, and then I go downstairs. Oh, we can't do that. No? I'm sorry. Those, those nope. aren't yours. I'm, they told me booze was free for the heroes, and I'm a hero, so toodaloo. Um, ding. All right. <laughs> Hal says ding. Bye, bye then. <laughs> As the doors, like, start closing. <laughs> Beautiful. You hear awkward conversation as the elevator passes out of earshot. Those of you who are in your rooms... The scratching noise is very noticeable, very loud. In fact, louder than it has any reason to be, until you wake up, at which point it simply turns into a distant background scratch of quill on paper. The message itself simply says, Omega Doc. Iavos was very excited for a moment at a mysterious handwriting appearing on the wall. And when he realizes it's not a handwriting he's familiar with, he gets a little, ah, fair enough. Hal goes into his room to change out of his swim trunks and back into his normal adventuring clothes. Perfect. All of you make your way, eventually, to the Omega Dock. Hal is the last to arrive. He smells strongly of liquor. I'm carrying a couple bottles. I almost needed help with directions to get there and understanding what the concept of an Omega Dock is. I think Gaspar, maybe even Penny, are waiting outside your door, or at least in the hallway. Yeah. It's kind of a tradition, but what kind of hell did they put you in? Oh, it's a very fine room. See for yourself. No secrets here. All you see is a bare bed missing a mattress. 
Oh, you poor thing. They did not even give you a mattress. Poverty. Oh, no, they supplied me with fine goose down, but I felt it a bit too decadent. I prefer a firm resting place for my tired back. Full line poverty. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. You stand outside the door to the Omega Dock. Soon after you meet each other, you see rain coming around the corner. She adjusts her spectacles. Hello? I'm glad to see you all made it. No second thoughts, I trust? Not one. That. (laughs) Good. I'm glad to hear it. Please, this way to the quartermaster. She leads you down the hall a little way. And eventually, you come to a simple door, which slides open of its own accord. As you walk in, you see a simple window opposite the entrance. You're standing in what looks like a vestibule. To either side of the window are what look like drop boxes. One side says in, one side says out, and there is a door on the left that says locker room. I've never seen so many people in all my life. You're going to see a lot more. Hal lifts the flap of his backpack to show the couple bottles of like, one's like really fine wine and one's just like expensive liquor. He shows them to Penny. He's like, I got us some supplies from upstairs. Oh, good. You found them. Some thief walked away with some rather expensive liquor. I'll be taking those. Well, they said it was free. Yes, free to drink, not free to keep. Thank you. Does that mean if I drink it, then it's fine? Well, that would have been renting. What? We only ever rent our drinks, don't we? I, like, look at my dick. don't know what it does yeah no, he just realizes he never put it away when he got dressed <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. man. I, I look down and I, that's a strange way of thinking about it but i guess it was a joke i'm sorry but i'm not sorry about taking these she takes the bottles away from you and then puts them in the in container c- closing it and then you hear some shuffling noises and then silence what a buzzkill you're telling me I was really looking forward to you showing me that, um, what do you call it, Hal? A keg stand? Yeah, ke- a keg stand. Keg stand. Difficult to execute with a glass bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of Hal balancing on a bottle. <laughs> Just a straw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my dicks is really high. <laughs> Rain walks over to the window and taps a small bell. A moment later, a young elf comes around the corner. He has golden blonde hair and a tousled mop. He has very large dark brown eyes made even larger by a pair of very thick, heavy spectacles. His skin is the kind of pale white common to those who have never really been in the sun. He looks at all of you. Right then? What can I get for everybody here? You're new. You didn't even have bracelets. Perhaps you can give us bracelets. Whatever those are for. So is that false to me then? All right. Well, uh, here are some forms. He slides a few pieces of paper underneath the window, along with a couple of pens. After he feeds you the paper and the pens, he hands you four manuals. They seem to contain a catalog of all the equipment you can buy. I didn't realize we were coming here to acquire anything. I thought we were traveling downward. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, I can't go traveling or adventuring without basic equipment. That's what the quartermaster's for. You just come over here. You feel like your document. Yeah, make sure the telly's all good. Uh, you're, uh, what is this, uh, a novice rank team? That's great. So, you have about uh, 400 gold to spend between you. Once you're done, you hand me the paperwork, I give you your equipment, and then you bring it back at the end of the day. Or the end of the quest. Hmm. Gaspar's just going to fill out what he needs. Saber, crossbow, thieves tools. I was just thumbing through the pages of this book, looking at the items, not really recognizing anything. These all... Seem strange. I I don't think I need any of this. I'll be fine. That's all right. We can use your gold allocation for potions. Uh, I'm not sure I'm allowed to let you leave the place without any equipment. He looks over at Rain. Rain nods. All right. Um, well, I guess if you change your mind, I'm always here. Uh, but uh, obviously you can't have them when you're not on quest. So if you're on a quest, come here, pick it up. If you're done, drop it off. If you're carrying equipment that you've been requisitioning and you do it around Hub or you do it around any other place in Zenith, 
then there's a good chance that you might be arrested. You could even be fined or kicked off of the League. I don't fully understand, but I have faith that that which should belong to me will in time. I've made a career out of not understanding what's going on. Your career has only just begun. I have us. We are tasked with keeping you alive. It would be much easier if you had any protective equipment. Well, I suppose some armor would be fine. Today, what kind of armor? Oh, something very simple: leather, a hide, a bit of leather. I can do that. As soon as you fill out your documents, he takes them from you. He feeds them through what looks like a slot on the wall leading towards the side of the room that has the out labeling. A few minutes later, you're allowed ka-chunk, and the drop slot for out shakes. I open it up. You pull it open, and inside you see a modestly sized trunk. Okay. And it has your name written right on it. Just Gaspar? Mm-hmm. I take it out, open it up. You find inside of this trunk a kind of unusual space. It's sort of a blackness, and it seems to contain more than a box of this size should be capable of. I am familiar with extra-dimensional space, but to have it so readily available and giving it to us freely... That's not yours to take. If you try to walk away with it, it might explode. So I cannot take this box? No. That would have been too easy. There's a locker room right over there. You're free to use it. I will follow the rules. You all, in turn, dress yourselves, load up your packs, and get yourselves ready for adventure. When you're done, you exit the locker room, and rain leads you to Omega Dock. Inside, you find a totally empty dock. Except for a single ship. One that the three of you, not Iavos, recognize. It is the ship you saw when you first entered. A simple blackwood ship with a tiefling figurehead. Now that you get a closer look at it, you see along the side... The Infernal Kiss, written in gold lettering. Aboard, you see a host of what appear to be devils. Barbed devils, horned devils, chained devils. You see what looks like a fairly normal man who then turns to you and you see small nubbed horns on his forehead. He's frantically writing away some information on a piece of paper. Finally, a rather burly, thick tiefling with red skin and a thick, bushy black beard and a tricorn hat, steps up onto the gunnel. Right. I suppose you're our charge. Fascinating. Creatures of lore and legend made life. That's exactly what we are. Lore and legend. And that right, boys! Ah! Such exuberance. What a treat. Aye, but there's little exuberance to be found in ferrying a bunch of soft-handed maidens down to their destination. So best we get this over with. We are traveling with soft-handed maidens. <laughs> None that I noticed. Aye. We have one. Wow. Well, well soft-handed. No. Well, if you get on board, you'll be allowed the use of our dinghy to take you down. Rain addresses you. Well, this is where I leave you. He's going to take you to the coordinates. He, however, is not allowed to take you down to the surface. Instead, you will take the dinghy and only down to your destination. It has exactly enough energy to get you down and back up. Any dallying, and you could find yourself stuck in the middle of the air, hovering above a plane that you cannot reach. I am very interested in this downward momentum. I hate it myself, but I hope you enjoy it. Is there perhaps time for us to practice this, if we only get one shot? No. Are any of you good with boats? Uh, small rafts and canoes, perhaps? Can't say I am. These kind of boats. Then I shall be the one to pilot it. All right, Captain. I am a captain of a dinghy. <laughs> I don't think you can call that a captain. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed you can't. Get on the boat, you scallywags. I have noticed a strange absence of water, but I think I have put the pieces of the mystery together. And you're a smart one. As soon as you're on, the plank is lifted and the devils all get to work. The smell of sulfur is pungent, overwhelming, in fact. And as soon as it's noticed that you're having a hard time with it, you see a particularly sizable devil kind of bow a little bit and say, Oh, pardon me. That was me. <laughs> is there a way you can stop that? 
<laughs> I wouldn't want to. <laughs> A yellow bile dribbles from his lips. Good, let's just huff some demon farts. <laughs> Devil oh. farts. Have some respect. Right. Uh, Gaspar's wisp is going to leave the severed head. <laughs> I can no longer smell. <laughs> Excellent. After you've boarded, the ship begins to lift up from the docking ring. That mosquito hum cuts. And then, slowly, the ship drifts out of the dock, and the mainsail is unfurled. The sail itself is an almost obsidian black with an opalescent sheen to it. And as soon as it fills with a wind you cannot see or feel, it begins pushing the ship farther out. Slowly but surely, you make your way over Zenith. But lifting higher and higher, the details fade into obscurity. Clearly, they are trying to avoid traffic. As the ship's disembarking, Iavos, with wide eyes, is just analyzing all of the magic at play, both mystified and curious, absorbing as much as he can. Ah, she's a wonder, isn't she? Anytime you can get out on the open skies, ah, it's a gift. How very fitting that none of your crew has idle hands. <laughs> You're a clever one. I've read a book or two. It is an honor to meet you, Sir Devil. Ah, you know the distinction. Much appreciated. It is also labeled on the side of your ship. He looks over. Aye, so it is. Hey, Steve, you want to give it a rest? You shut up! I'm trying to get in character. <laughs> Sorry. I feel there's a certain amount of theatrics that goes into this whole gig. Anyway, we best get moving. When the ship reaches a height away from all air traffic, it begins to push out, eventually going past the ring and then sailing off into the black. You cannot tell the speed. By the time you realize how far you've gone, Zenith is but a distant pinprick. Iavos, the sensation, that pulsing that you felt before, grows and grows and grows, and soon you can feel it directly below you as the ship comes to a slow stop. Below you lies the plane of error. It is all so familiar, and yet wrong like the face of a loved one in dim light. Its contours lay without regard for the physical laws that rule the material planes. Biomes clash irrespective of climate. Islands float in the sky, chasms split the plains, and across the surface of the mountains, great reliefs can be seen carved in breathtaking detail from hundreds or thousands of miles away. Right. Well, the ding is yours to use. Any damage and it'll come out of your paycheck. At this point, Gaspar's wisp is back in the severed head. It is a fine vessel. I will take care as much as I can. But these are uncharted skies. He points to the machine. There's a few sticks on it. Pitch. Yeah. This one's roll. You don't be using that one. This one rolls. He presses on the stick a little bit, and you see the dinghy start to kind of roll to its side. If you were on it, you'd be dumped into the abyss. Gravity does not come standard. Indeed. It is a dinghy. <laughs> Our fate is in your hands, my child. But please show me what you're doing as you do it. I will do the best that I can to pilot this dinghy safely down to the surface. Give me a simple dexterity check. As I watch very carefully what you're doing, I'm going to place a hand soft on your back. And imbue you with the guidance and knowledge of my family. Yeah. I'm like mid-going, I really do not want to be in debt to another person. Do not worry. I assure you that we will meet the destination. I know where it is. Gaspar's body, like, sighs in relaxation, then goes to work. We're rolling. That is a 25. Excellent. At first, you feel a little apprehensive. A little uncertain, but very quickly your hands get used to the feeling of having a ship below you and the controls in your fingers. And you are able to deftly, well, I say deftly, but more not dangerously carry the ship down, down towards error. As you descend, the world resolves into a scale you can understand. Familiarity takes hold, and you could be anywhere in all the planes. Grass fields and rolling hills, rivers and lakes, groves and forests. Your hearts settle as wonder gives way to the task at hand. You find your way down to this 
frost-riddled plain and rest into the icy grass. Before you lies a forest that draws Iavos on. Without even thinking, Iavos's hand just glides upward, pointing a long old finger. This is right. This is all. This is correct. Nice landing, Captain Dingy. <laughs> it is all because you are such good crewmates. <laughs> As you step forward, a fog settles in. Wisps dance before you, a spectral procession leading you through sparse and dimly lit trees. In time, you come to a river, its edges frozen, its waters low. It guides you at a low incline to a clearing, empty, but for a single monument to a forgotten god. Welcome back to the experience. I'm Warren Rustborough. Tragically, Dirk Bradley is indisposed at the moment, but with me tonight is the experience's own multiple machine, Age Theta Rowe. Thank you, Warren, but I'm no multiple anymore. I've chosen a life of singular entity, experiencing the raunchy zest of the universe without a cosmic safety harness clipped to my trousers. A worthy piece of equipment. Indeed. And speaking of equipment, I'm here to tell you about the rules and regulations to keep in mind as our athletes begin gearing up for this season's quests. Thank you, Paige. Let's begin with novices. I understand the novices aren't officially sponsored by the administrators that select them, at least not until they become heroes. That's right, Warren. The novice teams must supply their own gold allotment for their quests, a maximum of 400 gold pieces. That amount is doubled to 800 for heroes and again at each tier until you get to legend, who have no particular limit to their standard equipment or spending money, giving testament to the old saying, heroes break backs but legends gain stacks. Now those higher tiers are paid for by their team admins, is that correct? It is, but novices are able to sell back whatever equipment they did not use or lose and make up the difference with their quest reward, a standard 50 gold each for the lowest tier in the league. That brings me to my next question. What can they spend the money on? A good question, Warren. Battleaxe's teams can requisition any mundane items found in the player's handbook, including alchemical components, adventuring kits, or even livestock if they want to get wacky. Well, what about personal items? Many adventurers have family heirlooms or sentimental attachments to their possessions. Any personal items without magical or unique properties is assigned a dollar value appropriate to the item's intent. They should be useful in the quest, though. This is no place for teddy bears or safety blankets. And what of the artificers? Surely the value of their components cannot accurately estimate the value of, say, an eldritch cannon. It's funny you should ask, Warren. Let's take hero team Metal and Mana as an example. This team has two artillerists. Talitha Al-Saleen, a wood elf artificer rogue, and Day, a human artificer purist. You might assume that these heroes must pay the cost of their cannons, at least in raw materials. But a few years back, the administration found that charging gold cost for class features imbalanced the team-building meta. As such, if something is essential to their class's function, they can have it at no cost. The exceptions being material components for spells and instruments for bards. Time to save some money and learn to tell a f***ing joke or sing a song without musical accompaniment. But surely splitting so little money between a team of four would be limited. Well, that depends on your team composition. Going back to Metal and Manor, their other two team members are a Kenku monk named Splish and Morgo the Great, a bard of the College of Swords. It's well known that monks need little in the way of equipment, while specialists like bards might have any number of tools, gaming sets, and etc. As such, many teams may spend as little as possible to ensure their fighters may wear the best armor possible. Splish, however, is the exception as their standard loadout is packed with all manner of equipment. Fascinating. Coming up next, we'll be discussing magic items and their use between Axis, off-world, and domestic quests. After these words from our sponsors. We're about to witness a planar phenomenon, a keyhole between worlds that only marketing can penetrate. Join me as we glimpse into the adverse. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, 
a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Hubert, and I'm a bugbear. It's safe to say I know a thing or two about thick fur. It was recently me and my husband's blood bonding ceremony anniversary, and I wanted to give him a gift that he would cherish. So I went to Manscaped.com and got the perfect package 3.0. It came with two trimmers, the Lawnmower 3.0 for taming your down there hair, and the Weed Whacker for nose hair removal. It also came with a bottle of toner and deodorant for your freshly trimmed regions. Not to mention some very cute anti-chafing boxers. Now he feels clean and confident all the time and smells great. Just between you and me, I ordered it so I could try it for myself. I love the advanced ceramic blade for safety and accuracy. And the built-in LED light makes navigating my underdark a snap. Take it from someone who knows about hair. Nothing will clean you up and leave you fresh like Manscaped. Use code LUQ for 20% off your purchase and free shipping by going to manscaped.com today. You'll love these products. Hey, LU cuties. Welcome to the middle of the episode. You look nice today. Of the many things that make LUQ possible, nothing is as valuable as the support of our fans. If you're a fan of the show, you've been following since the beginning, or you just binged all the episodes like some kind of audio lunatic, we love you and we thank you. Sharing with your friends, writing reviews, and shoutouts on social media all add up to us continuing to grow. One very direct way to support Slapdash Studios is to join the Patreon. The support of our patrons makes it possible to pay for all of the web hosting, programs, and equipment that we need to make sure our shows are the best that they can be. There's a ton of amazing rewards ranging from D&D content like magic items, class options, maps, and artwork, to music tracks from the show and bonus content. A big thank you to the legendary teams that rule over our Patreon domain. Those teams are the Titans Rise, the Twilight Concord, the Forgotten Legacy, and this week's featured team, the Ceaseless Horde, with Dave Mladenoff, Daniel Pickens-Jones, Patch Perryman, and Jeff Ammons. You can get links to all things LUQ at the LUQ.com. If you'd like to advertise with the show or pay for a personal message to be read during an episode, contact admin at slapdashstudios.com. If you have something you need to send us, you can use P.O. Box 230091, Tigered, Oregon 97281. We recently added sound paneling to our recording space, which should improve the quality of the gameplay audio, but it also presents the unique opportunity to decorate the space between the panels with wall adornments. The spaces are one foot by one foot, so if you have anything you'd like us to hang in the studio, something that can easily be put up on a flat wall that fits those dimensions, especially if it's LUQ or D&D themed, we'd be happy to have it, and we'll be sure to put some pictures on social media of anything special we get. Maps for Season 2 are being designed by Bree Golden at goldenstylus.com, so please check them out for any of your D&D map needs. Check out me and Zach streaming during the week at twitch.tv forward slash slapdash streams. Monday night, we premiere new episodes of the LUQ. Tuesday nights, we play our cooperative Pokemon Nuzlocke. And right now, you can watch Zack to the Future on Thursdays, where Zack plays classic RPGs. But for now, let's get you back to the Battle Axis. How does he do it? Golrun's one of the oldest dwarves in the colony, yet he manages to man the forge each and every day, pounding out metals into the finest weapons and armor. Well, I'm half his age, and my fingers and arms are sore just after an hour. It's true, working the forge is hard on these old bones, but I keep my pain under control with Anvil PC. I may just be an NPC, but Anvil PC is strong enough for a protagonist, and that means it's the best. Just a few pills gets me through the day, keeping the ache out of my joints and making me feel like I'm 120 again. Don't let pain stop your passion. Hammer it out with Anvil PC.
there before you is a clearing. The earth of it is wrong. Not the damp, frozen, dark earth that surrounds you. Instead, something dry and old. In the center is plunged not a weapon, per se, but a great and rusted plowshare. It could serve as a greatsword, were that its intent. Instead, it rests here, in a rocky forest, with no fields to work. They hear their family in the day, and guard their dreams each passing night. When lost too far away from home, they guide you back by candlelight. This was my father's. When the war is over, the soldiers take their blades to the blacksmith and forge them into tools. Plows for the field. But this is once again returned to a tool of violence. Perhaps war is coming. And despite Iovis's weak frame, he's going to place both hands on the hilt and easily pull it out of the stone earth. As you pull your father's tool from the dirt, you hear a rasp, metal on wood, as it scrapes against a hollow object below. He places it down with reverence and falls into a motion that seems very familiar to him. He begins to dig with his bare hands. Pulling away the soil, you realize this is definitely not the earth of the surrounding area. In your hands, it is dry, dusty, and dead, and reminds you of home. This familiarity is punctuated by what you uncover underneath. A simple handmade chest lies surrounded by disturbed earth, its every flaw etched into your memory. It was the trunk you kept at the foot of your bed to store your most prized possessions. The hinges whine as you pry it open. Tell me, what do you find inside? Unlike your standard adventurer's chest, the contents are not treasure. They're nothing more than trinkets. Tools you'd find around the house, things worn with age, dusty, an old bent ladle, a damaged lantern, a simple key and nails hanging from a wire, a necklace made from shards of a mirror, various household objects, an old blanket that looks like it went on a child's bed, stitched with small elks and cows, and a set of earthen brown and red robes that, when he dons them, seem to fit like a glove. And he adorns himself with these objects hanging heavy from his small frame, as though they're jewelry. And in one final motion, he places the heavy plowshare on his back. These all belong to you. Yes, these are from the place I was before. Even the great sword? You may see it as a great sword, but for now, just consider it a heavy burden that I must bear. How did all of these things end up here? <laughs> No. The fog thickens. Over the babble of the water, you hear a rattling breath racked with sobs. In the near distance, you spy a figure silhouetted in the mists. It appears to be a man, clad in heavy fluted steel plate. In one hand, a finely crafted shield, its standard unreadable, tattered from battle. In the other, a long blade whose edge reflects a radiant blue sunlight as its wielder swings it wildly through the fog, as though the day shone clear and bright. You hear him muttering under his breath. What sounds like a prayer turns to nonsense as he grows near. <laughs> Glory in the weak. Be not affiliated. Be protected by the Lord. Lord of all. No, no, no. Honor, honor be those. Honor be those without protection. In righteousness, in righteousness, we find it. Find me. Ignorance. No. Gaspar will whisper to Iavos. Do you recognize this man? We may see a man, but one thing certainly not before us is a sound mind. Perhaps we can help him. Yes. Hal pulls his glaive out and kind of holds it slightly warily and just addresses this approaching figure. Boy, mate, are you all right? <laughs> no, my children, I beg you, stay back from me. For in the pulchritude of thine outstretched hand in kindness, my blasphemous eyes see only the first course of a thousand corpses. 
and while I pray in long eternities between my weaknesses, that the next may be my last, and that my hunger shall sate in the blood of but one more innocent soul. Ah, I, I know, as only time and trial can teach, that my, my frailties be not the death of this blasted form, but those of others yet to come. I'm going to look to him solemnly with my hand on my heart. My child, I know all too well that the lines of scripture can appear as though the bars of a prison cell. But I implore you to look past them to the world beyond. We want to help you. The hand that bears the sword reaches out, almost in supplication. But he sees the blade in it, and suddenly his body seizes. Bones crack and flesh writhes, wet beneath the skin of the night, as his limbs twist and stretch, blood pouring from the gaps in his armor. An agonized scream shakes you to your core. Please, everybody, roll wisdom against fear. Ooh. Wisdom save. Ugh. Just remembered how bad most of us are at wisdom. Yeah. Uh, 17 for Elvis. Okay. Penny, who's been here the entire time, got a nat one. Beautiful. Oh, no. Al has a four. Nine. Excellent. Iavos passes his fear check, which I feel is very appropriate to the circumstances. The rest of you are frightened. No, 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 no. I am the cursed of the gods. I spit on them. I can hear their screams even now, singing songs of agony. (laughs) Let me add your souls to their chorus. Please roll for initiative as he lunges forward. Mm. Let's see if this one's any better than the wisdom save. Gaspar got a 17. Baby got a five. (laughs) Baby got five. (laughs) Nine. Okay. I've got got double digits at least. It's a 10 for me. All right. You are all but Iavos, frightened. You have disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while made within line of sight of the source of your fear. You also cannot willingly move toward it. At the end of your turn, you may make an attempt to overcome this fear. The turn begins with Gaspar. Gaspar tightening the grip on his crossbow and stabilizing the severed head at his hip says, This will not be the same fate that I share. I will make it so. He's going to run behind the tree to his right, attempt to hide from the bone-cracking knight. That is a 25 to hide from the thing he is afraid of. Beautiful. After trying to hide his presence, Gaspar will take the dodge action behind the tree. Excellent. It's the end of your turn. Feel free to roll wisdom save. Another nine. Hot damn. No dice. You are still very uncomfortable. That moves it to the knight's turn. Uh Uh-oh. I can smell it on you. (laughs) It's... So bright and warm. His arms reach out and grow a little longer. The spaces between the armor grows ever so slightly as he lunges erratically toward Halfon. As he lunges forward, the odd primal way that he moves seems to resolve for a moment into that of a highly trained fighter. How's the 16? That just hits my AC. And a critical failure. Okay. I like this. That's actually perfect. He lumbers towards you erratically, and then all of a sudden he finds his feet. His sure footing gives him a clean, cool strike right at your chest, and he lashes forward with his long blade. The blade impacts your chest with an incredible force and glances off your armor. He uses the momentum of it to drop his longsword into an underhand and then take a stab at Iavos. But as he does, there's an almost resonant presence that seems to vibrate his hands and he opens it dropping the blade to the ground michael you take five damage okay he uses his remaining move to kick the blade up into his hand and turn back to halifon you may protect him but you cannot protect yourself cool that makes it your turn halifon great i'm not the type to back down from a challenge I'm going to defend my friend, whether you kill me or not. 
It's my solemn charge. So, so noble. So beautiful. Hal is too frightened to actually attack, so I just take the dodge action. Excellent. Uh, go ahead and roll me another wisdom saving throw to see if you overcome this fear. How's a six? Does a six pass? Six does not quite do it, shockingly, which moves it to Iavos's turn. All right. Iavos looks at this tormented soul, blinded by some kind of madness and faith amalgam, and reaches down to grab the one remaining item that was still in the chest at his feet, his sister's spellbook, which he snaps shut confidently, and uh, looking at his friends who are now frightened, he says, uh, Alone we answer battle's call. But when united, cannot fall. And he casts Bless on his three allies. Beautiful. Does this kooky bird look like he's bazonkers enough for me to back away without provoking? <laughs> no, quite the opposite. You guess just from the way he holds himself that whatever madness does not extend to his arms. He moves too cleanly. Mm. Uh, Iavos is going to do what is known as taking one for the team. You know? <laughs> in the act of backing away towards one of the large trees to get out of this thing's massive swing range. Excellent. As you do, he seems to fall to his knees mm. in what looks like a feint and then drives his blade up towards you, effectively moving him beneath Caliphon's glaive. Does a 20 do? Yes. Okay. He deals you seven damage as the blade comes up and drives itself home into your armor. You can feel it pierce through the first layers of skin deeper and deeper as he drives it slowly as you move away, eventually finding its way into the fat. As a reaction, a light pours out of the wound and a crackling hearth fire spreads up the blade and strikes the knight as I cast Hellish Rebuke as my father protects me. Ooh! Ooh! <laughs> I love it! But cast no threat upon his clan. At any price, he will protect. So a deck save from this dingus. Deck save. It's the Draco Malfoy defense. You got an 18. Well, he takes half damage. Cool. Oh, nice. So he takes half, so which is nine fire damage. Excellent. As the fire crawls up the blade, it suddenly sears his hands. The gauntlets begin to crackle and burn and glow bright red. <laughs> noble warrior. Your scion protects you. Oh, it warms the heart, but not so much as you will warm my belly. Penny's turn. Penny's legs have turned to jelly, and it looks like she wants to dash in and help as she touches her hands to the pommel of her sword and her shield, but she can't bring herself to move her legs. She finally withdraws her aulas, her double flute, from a small pouch hanging off the edge of her belt. She begins to play. She plays a lilting and haunting melody. I am going to use my instrument to cast fairy fire. Beautiful. Go Penny. Yeah, and you should be able to drop the fairy fire without hitting Halophon. Good. Ten. That works. As her magic takes hold and her song becomes more confident... It becomes apparent that it is a song of babbling brooks and the dew on blades of grass. And small blue lights flicker around in the environment and pull up in an invisible torrent of air and begin to swirl around the night, sticking to him, illuminating him until he is bright, glowing, fluorescent blue. Excellent. And as her spell takes hold, she begins to play on both flutes simultaneously, weaving in more melodies, one of hearth and home of family, and grants bardic inspiration to Halophon. The sensation of hearth and home and family are all too familiar to you. As the fairy fire settles in, in pale blue sunlight, the knight looks at his fingers. <laughs> My lord, he gifts me with his radiance again. And go ahead and roll me another wisdom save against fear. I would love to. You are blessed. That is a 12. Blessed. Oh, shit. D4. Blurst. Blurst. You are blessed of the gods. You're blursted. That would be a 15. That'll do it. Yay, helpful. Goddamn. Bless is a good spell. The difference maker. 
So, back to the top of the initiative, and that is Gaspar's turn. Gaspar is going to move to a tree behind him, but as he gains line of sight towards the knight, he is going to take a shot. Excellent. You have disadvantage from the fear, but you have advantage because of the fairy fire. And you are blessed! And I'm blessed! <laughs> that is a 13 to hit. Oh, sorry. Blayoth. That is a 15 to hit. Excellent. That does not hit. Ouch. As the quarrel goes flying towards the knight, he raises his shield effortlessly and catches it. Gaspar, still afraid, isn't going to stick around to see whether or not his bolt really even hit. He just, he was just like running, turn, fire, then behind the tree. Absolutely. Go ahead and give me one more wisdom save. That is a 13. That is enough. Woo! He's not a spell caster. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a spook caster. Yeah. You find yourself shaking free of the fear. The terror of this horrible night begins to seep out of your bones. And that makes it the knight's turn. That is a 17. Will hit. He would have gotten a 12, but instead he gets a critical failure. Nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Old one good. fumble Johnny over here. <laughs> The glee and delight of battle, of bloodlust, seems to fill him as he strikes cleanly at you, sweeping across your chest with blade. He cuts free some of your armor, and you can feel the blade biting into your skin. However, as he comes back down, you raise your halberd just in time to catch the sword. I want you to go ahead and roll me an opposed attack check and see if you're able to disarm him. Using my attack modifier? Yes. Okay. You are blessed. It is attack rolls and saving throws. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Uh, that's a 19. Fortunately, he got a 24. Okay. Well. You try to use your glaive to leverage the sword out of his hand, but fail as his strength overwhelms you. That makes it Halifon Orison's turn. Cool. All right. Oh, how much damage did he deal to me with the one hit that he made? That is a four plus two for six. Okay. Yikes. Well. One of us is going down right now, and right now it looks like it's going to be me, but we've got you outnumbered, and my friends have my back. So I'm going to roll and attack. Advantage mitigated by my fear. Twelve total. That's definitely not going to do it. As you strike out with him with your glaive, it simply clatters off his considerable armor, and he seems just elated. With my bonus action, I'm going to cast Shield of Faith on myself to raise my AC a bit more. Nice. And, and that'll be that'll be it for my turn. Excellent. Go ahead and roll me another wisdom save. Okay. See if you overcome the fear. I am now blessed. The fear. Uh, fuck my dick off. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and use my bardic inspiration die from Penny. So right now I'm at an 11 plus 15 total. That'll do it. Nice. Okay. House not scared anymore. Hooray. Yay. You can Ooh. have your, your die back, Penny. I like it. And I'm going to stay right there and keep tanking. That makes it Iavos of Zadora's turn. So this figure is bashing the hell out of my new friend, Hal. Mm -hmm. Clearly being the more apt warrior, even though he's out of his fucking gourd. So Iavos's intent is to put him out of his misery. Got it. He takes something from his necklace of many items. He unfurls it from the twine and holds up a simple bent, rusty nail and looks at it as it looks at the night and says a simple tool could be used to mend a leaky roof or repair a broken shoe but perhaps for you this day a coffin and he casts magic missile <laughs> that's good fuck your full plate magic missile always <laughs> hits <Yeah. laughs> 11 force damage nice yeah man how do they look? Each of them strikes through the air as though some kind of spectral carpenter's nail that almost pins him to an unseen wall. I like it. As the nails drive into his armor, you can almost hear the thud of hammer against them, driving them through his armor into his chest. And that makes it Penny's turn. Penny is going to keep playing and cast another spell. This one is going to be Tasha's Hideous Laughter, which 
requires him to make a wisdom save. Excellent. He's going to roll this at disadvantage. What's your DC? 13. Ha! 12. Mm. What's so funny? As soon as you strike him with this, he continues to look at the glow of sunlight on his armor, dancing from his blade. He seems overcome with the glory of battle. And he starts to laugh. <laughs> I feel it now. I feel it. I can, I can do this. I, I will serve my liege in valor and faith. Serve thine leech in valor and faith. He looks at Hal. Serve thine leech in valor and faith. He drops his blade to the ground, kneels before it, rests his head against the hilt, and slides his throat down the blade. What's a D&D equivalent of Jesus Christ? <laughs> That's a hell of a fucking joke. <laughs> the blood begins to pour free of his neck in gushes as he continues to laugh, burbling and desperate. And you can hear a faint whisper on his lips. Serve thine liege in valor and faith. Serve thine liege in valor and faith. Gaspar's going to peek from behind the tree because the sounds of fighting just kind of stopped. Look at that. Let's go. Penny, did you do that? It is the world's oldest joke. A soldier without a war. <laughs> a knight without a liege. I, I didn't know that it would do that. The blood pools along the edge of the blade and nestles into a simple engraving of his final words. Serve thine liege in valor and faith. The sunlight shines across its razor edge. Gaspar, with a bit of curiosity, will go towards the corpse and see what the soul situation of, of that is, or if, if he can extract the head. You go, kneel to him, and touch his head, and you feel nothing, an emptiness. It is common for you to feel a radiant soul burning in a body for a good long time after their death. But there is nothing in this man, only a hollow space where a soul once was. Instead, you can feel it pulsing, radiating from his weapon. Gaspar's going to turn back to Penny. I don't think you should feel too bad. He might have been dead a long time ago. Iavo steps forward, witnessing the horrible, violent act that took this creature of its own madness. And he stands over the body, looking down. And he's aware that something should be said or done at this strange sacrament. And he takes a large silver coin from his bag, which was in the chest. I had intended to use this for myself or perhaps one of you, but I think this is fitting. And error is a strange, bizarre plane with all kinds of divine biomes, but this plot where this man died was left here by my father. And I'd like to use their blessings of the earth to cast a ceremony hmm. as a ritual. And I hold the coin in my hand, almost the size of a small tea saucer, and it just crumbles into dust. I sprinkle it over his body so that he cannot be turned into an undead for seven days and say a prayer to his passing. They wait for you quite patiently, but do not wish to make you rush. For if you take them in your arms, you too shall rest below the brush. I lower the body into the hole left behind by my chest. Penny plays one final song. No spell, no magic. Simply a song of mourning. I was led here by some kind of divine faith. And I think that we should leave this place soon, because if I were to remain, this may be a glimpse of the future. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, what about his soul? To the victor go the spoils. I, I look at Penny. I 
look across at all of you and look down at my own sword and say, I think I am more than happy with the one that I have. Perhaps you would like it. May I carry this burden for you? Unless, Hal, you would like to wield this weapon. Uh, it's fine with me. It did a lot of damage to me. I'd rather not have it on my person. He spoke his dying words to you. This text printed on the blade was for you. Hmm. All right. I'll take it, but I don't like it. As soon as your hands close around the hilt, you can feel a sense of righteousness, a certainty in your actions, a confidence that there's purpose in this blade. Hmm. You, Iavos, can feel from it something decadent, Hmm. something weak, something declined, a sensation of power emanating from it. But you are all confident that this, this is the anomaly that Rain was looking for. Yes, of course. It all makes sense now. And, Hal, I am glad that you do not like carrying this blade. It is cruel to be too affectionate towards a weapon of killing. She did tell us that we are going to do things that we do not like. It requires more study nonetheless, but safest in your keen hands. If you say so, I'll keep it on me for a bit. As you make your slow way back to the dinghy, the fog lifts, and you find yourself walking through this old, tired forest, its trees gnarled and weak, and you all feel a certainty that you've left something behind. Welcome back to The Experience. I'm Warren Rustbury, here with Paige Theta Row. Tonight, we're discussing magic items. Now, Paige, it's my understanding that one of the major perks in adventuring is the acquisition of magical equipment. How does this work with the strictures of the League? I'm glad you asked, Warren. These rules can be a little complicated, so try to stay with me. I'll do my best. Each magic item a team acquires is assigned a rarity and associated point cost. Each team is given points equal to four times their team level. The team can then distribute their found and earned magic items however they see fit, so long as they have the points to carry. But I understand there are rules regarding what items can be used and where. Precisely. In the interest of fairness, when in the battle axis, only items found there can be used there. So if a team travels off-world and finds a very rare sword... They wouldn't be able to use it in the axis, correct. However, axis items can be used anywhere you like off-world quests, social functions, or even self-defense. They can make quite the interesting talking point at a dinner party. It should be noted, however, that a magic item's use is prohibited in duels or any other official league exhibition unless explicitly agreed upon by all parties and sanctioned by the commission. Hey, guys. Dirk, you look awful. You look like you just won a contest for falling off horses. Like you tried to stop a wagon with your face. Is it that bad? (laughs) Somehow, Vector caught up with me near the ring and Things got a little rough. (laughs) That's the second biggest jewelry-related fight I've ever been in. You look like you've been moonlighting as a training dummy. Like someone put a kick-me sign on your back and everyone took it way too seriously. (laughs) That's happened before. Your face looks like a teleportation accident between an eggplant and a side of beef. You look like a stylish bust made from bruised peaches. That's a good one. You look like a walking manuscript written in the language of welts. You look like a blind necromancer stuck you together with super glue and lunch meat. You look like you went to the beach to get a tan, but instead some guy beat the snot out of you with a cudgel. Okay, one more. You look like a map of the multiverse made out of retired blood cells and scar tissue. Specifically, a map of the failure dimension with all the exciting tourist spots circled. Okay, that'll do it. Well, then let's get you to the clerics and see if they can reassemble your face. With Warren Rasparo and what's left of Dirk Bradley, this is Paige Theta Row, signing off. Damn, that was fucking fucked up and fuck. Yep. <laughs> that was a lot. I'm carrying a sword with a soul in it, but I don't know that. 
you promised me a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> you said this was a comedy podcast. I mean, I said there was comedy and drama. I, said, <laughs> I died to Tasha's hideous laughter. I mean, that's <laughs> wackety schmackety doo. So, <clears throat> take us out, Michael. That's episode four. Right. That's I'm not, it. I'm That's not making things up. The chapter. That is the end of chapter one of the League of Ultimate Questing season two battle access. Mm-hmm. That's axis, not axes. Like something you spin upon. Yes. I'd, yeah. I'd say Angelo could do the intro, but uh, we only have four episodes today and that'll give you more preparation for next time. Yeah. I'm on the spot. Well, I'm on deck. <laughs> As you probably know. Being this is the fourth episode now, new episodes of our podcast come out every fucking Monday. So you know, before you get into that, we should do we should do play of the game. Oh yeah, we should do play of the game. Play of the game. <laughs> All right, and probably introduce people too. But mm-hmm. any votes? I don't know. Tasha's hideous laughter did KO the creepy night. That was the right that right answer. That was the right answer. I feel I feel like it was the bless. Because that, yeah. that got most of us out. I could see yeah. it's true. Out of fright, it's true. That was the turning point. I could. I, okay. How about bless for play of the game and penny for MVP? Yeah, I like that. That's damn fine. I'll for take me. it. Tasha for MVP. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I would have accepted that too. Tasha for MVP. All right. Before I forget, let's go ahead and introduce everybody. Even though you know, starting with, hey, I'm Dana. I play Penny, the fawn level two bard slash Faylock. I also do a lot of things. I um, write for TTRPGs. I create content. I'm a pro DM. You can check me out on Twitter at Mistress Dana RPG. My name is Law, and I am playing Iavos Isadora, witness to the Withering Anchor. My name is Michael Loving. I am playing Halifon Orison Jr., the Asimar Paladin. My Twitter handle, which I'll say this time, is OG underscore Captain underscore Mel, M-E-L. You can find all the links to my social media if you don't want to type that out at theluq.com on the players page. My name is Angelo Kaluag and I am playing Gaspar, the headless rogue. You can find me on Twitter as Angelo. That's double A and G H E L L O. And I am Zach Barkas. I am the Dungeon Master and Technical Director Producer for Slapdash Studios. I also want to thank Hediger the Editor for Hediger editing this episode. Woo. Yep. On the LUQ.com site, you can find links to the Discord, the merch store, all of the podcasts, both of season one and of season two, the Patreon, the Instagram, the Twitter. Am I missing any? There's buttons. Call it a day. Let's call it a day. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And until next time, we wish you battle axes. <laughs> That's awful. It doesn't Say have it right. the, it doesn't have the same ring. It doesn't have the same ring, Zach. Uh, we chose this dorky name specifically so that we could say we wish you luck once a week at least. <laughs> until next time, we wish you luck. 